front two pews as, uh, as we fill up. Uh, do not become weary in doing good. In the, uh, next, the next three or four weeks, it's going to become crucial that we continue to free up space for those who come. Uh, we've been walking through First Peter, and we have finally arrived in chapter 5, the last chapter. Just have a couple of sermons left in the whole series. He's been addressing the suffering church, and he's been speaking into their lives. He's addressed them in various different circumstances that they find themselves. And as he reaches the end of the letter, he turns and he speaks to the leadership in particular. And so he addresses the elders. And I think he says some things that are really helpful for us. There are a lot maybe who... Uh, who uh, didn't grow up in churches where you had elders, or you've come in, you have a vague idea what they do. Maybe you grew up in a Presbyterian church, you've always had elders, but you still only have a very vague idea of why we have elders and what they do and that kind of stuff. And Peter addresses all of those questions. Um, and as we touch the rest of the New Testament, he fills it, fills it out. But we are in 1 Peter chapter 5, just the first five verses, and we will talk about the shepherds of God's flock, uh, the eldership. Hear then the word of God. Peter writes as he closes the letter and he says, And so, here as I wrap up, I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Pray with me. Father, again we have gathered as your people, as your flock. We have gathered to sit at your feet and to learn from you. We have gathered to bend our knee and worship. So even now we continue in our worship and we open our hearts and our minds and we invite you to come in and speak to us. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see and continue to shape our hearts according to your word that we might live in ways that please you. For we ask and pray in Jesus' name. In recent years, there has been a growing distrust for authority. You see it outside the church, in our culture in general. You see it for the government, and growing distrust in conspiracy theories, a growing distrust for our police and abuses of powers. And we see things out there. We want to, you know, we love them and they serve us, and yet we see abuses and we wrestle with. And so, you know, there are the, this, this subtle thing that enters in. It has entered into the church in recent years and leadership for various reasons and various ways. And it doesn't help sometimes that the elders are a little bit mysterious in the background. And, you know, part of it, it comes with the territory. Their job is not standing up here, you know, leading and, and, uh, and singing or playing instruments. It's not like me who gets to stand up and, and have the privilege of opening God's word to you. They're, they're the guys who sit in the back room and do a lot of the hard work uh, that needs to be done back there to serve in ways that are not real visible. And so it can be a little mysterious. I don't think it's meant to be. I don't think they're hiding anything. I know they're not hiding anything. We're not hiding anything. We're not hiding anything. <laughs> if you come from the Baptist background and the Baptist system, it, it's probably a little bit more confusing because a lot of times in the Baptist system, they don't talk a lot about elders. They have deacons, 
and they have a pastor, and elders are not talked about a lot, which is interesting because the Bible talks a lot more about elders than deacons. But I think it comes down to, in their system, that, that uh, it's often seen that the pastor is the elder. And they have one elder, and it's the pastor. They don't always speak of him that way, but often that's the way I think it's thought of. They have an elder, and then they have a board of deacons. Well, we, we believe that there should be a board of elders and a board of deacons. And then where does the pastor fit in? And let me try to explain it, because I think that he touches that, and the Scripture speaks to it very well. And so here are the things we're going to touch on today. Why do we have elders? What do the elders do? Who gets to be an elder? And then how should we respond as a, as a church to the fact that we have elders? And let's take a touch of it, because I think in these few verses, again, Peter answers these questions. And when we connect what Peter says to what the rest of the New Testament says about it, and it says a lot about it, you could tell from my outline if you go over there the last couple of weeks. And I had to leave out dozens of verses that I w- would like to have pulled in to give you that full picture of what the Scripture says. So there's, I had to restrain myself, and so there are, there are a lot in there that will touch those. Peter has been addressing different groups in the church, right? If you remember, if you've been here in weeks past, or if you remember Peter, you know, he addresses and he writes to citizens and they should submit to emperors. And he writes to slaves and servants and says you should submit to your masters. He's been writing to wives and saying they should submit to their husband in the same ways husbands should, should love and respect their wives. And he's been writing to these different groups. And now he turns as he closes his letter and he says, okay, elders, leadership. And he speaks specifically to this office, to these men. And he says he's a fellow elder. He says, I exhort the elders, verse 1, among you, as a fellow elder. He sees himself as an elder. And I would say this, all apostles were elders, but not all elders are apostles. Because the elders are that leadership of the church. It's a a perpetual office. It's a a standing office. The the, uh, office of apostleship was not something that was meant to last. And so, they, they were part of that early leadership, and as the apostles were appointing, training, and electing elders to follow them, as the, elder, as the apostles die off, the office of elder passes, I mean the office of apostle passes away, but the office of elder becomes very clear, becomes the norm in the New Testament. After you know, referring to Paul and to Peter and these guys as apostles, the word, the title, the office drops out. And it's elders and deacons, elders and deacons, elders and deacons. And he writes to him as an elder, he is a leader in the church. An elder is simply a leader of God's people, is the way that it comes down. He is an elder, but he is also an apostle. And I think that's what he means when he says, I write to you as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Not everybody witnessed the sufferings of Christ. Not everybody walked with him. And we see in Acts chapter 1, when they go to replace Judas... And they looked for people who would be qualified for the job. They looked for people who had walked with Jesus and who were witnesses of his sufferings. It's one of the, it is the apostolic requirement, which is why when that generation dies off, so does the office. And now we have elders who are ordained, and we'll see this. So he writes to the elders as an apostle and as an elder, but he writes to this group that is being left behind, that is coming up in the church behind the apostles. The elder is in a perpetual office. It's instituted by God. So you see in verse 2 when he says, you're to shepherd the flock that is among you, exercising overship, not under compulsion but willingly, as God would have you. In other words, this is God's design. You know, this is, I want you to do this as an elder, shepherd, and oversee because it is as God would have you. This is God's idea. This is 
this is what God, this is one of the reasons, probably the main reason that I entered uh, into the pastor, uh, the, the area of pastoring and went into the ministry. I was, I was dead set against it um, for, for a decade and would do anything but and was moving in a different direction. But one of the things that turned me around were two things. One, faithful brothers willing to speak the truth to me. But the second thing was I studied theology. And I studied the Bible, and I came to understand that this is the, that the church is God's idea. I mean, the church is so messy. There are a lot of people abandoning the church these days. You know, better just to watch TV or go fishing or go, you know, it's a lot of people. The main problem I have with that is the church is God's idea. So it's not in that list of things you can take or leave like so many other things in the Scripture. They're not there for us to take or leave. The ch- God establishes the church and its order. And because he has, that's one of the things that captures it for me. This is what God is doing. This is how God organizes his people. It's how he's advancing his kingdom. This is how he trains them and protects them and teaches them. And, and, and it is a flock. It is a body. It is a people. And part of this, capturing my imagination and psyche, said, this is where I ought to be. I shouldn't be running from it and going somewhere else or doing something else if this is where God has gifted me, and so I become convinced of God's plan and structure because of the scripture. And this whole idea of elder in the New Testament, it's not new. So often when we go to understand some of these things, we just, you know, sometimes our theology locks us into the New Testament as if everything is completely new, and we just kind of figure out from the New Testament, what does baptism mean? What does the Lord's Supper mean? What what does the atonement mean? What is who Christ is and what he's done mean? What What does it mean to be an elder? And we just start in the New Testament as if that's where it is. But every single one of those things has its roots deep in the Old Testament. Elders have been the leaders of God's people for thousands of years. So the entire Old Testament, a couple thousand years before Peter and Paul and these guys are writing this, Elders have been leading Israel, recognized, set apart as leaders. They were called elders. Over a hundred times in the Old Testament, elders are referred to as the leaders of God's people in that role. I pulled two scriptures. Again, there are hundreds. Let me give you two just to kind of sample, you know, sampling. There it is in your bulletin, Exodus 19.7. Moses came and he called the elders of the people. And he set before the elders all the words that the Lord had commanded them. Right? So he doesn't call a congregational meeting of the, you know, that would be too large. He said he calls the elders and he sets the words of God, the law of God, the teaching of God, what God was bringing, and he works through the elders. There are representative leadership. Numbers eleven sixteen. that's the next one there. It says, the Lord says to Moses, gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people, officers, leaders over them, Bring them to the tent of meeting. And on and on it goes. There's this group of elders that have been leading God's people. And so when when this comes into the New Testament, it's already in the psyche of God's people. This is not new for them. They're not like, oh, what is the elder thing that we are doing? No, this this is old, ancient, biblical. Virtually every part of the New Testament, almost every author in the New Testament speaks about the church and its structure and its leadership. Every church should elect a group of elders. As I read the New Testament, every church should elect a group of elders. This is what I believe the New Testament teaches with clarity and strength. They should be set apart and ordained for leadership. And again, there are a number of ways to come at this. I'm going to give you two verses now, but as we unpack some of these other ideas, I'm going to give more verses and you'll see it play out 
in the New Testament, but at least these two, that, that every church should do this. Acts chapter 14, verse 23 in your bulletin, it says, when they, that is the leadership and the apostles, had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord. Right, so when they appointed, the word appointed there can be to appoint the way we think of it, but it also can be appoint somebody by election. You can you know, everybody set their, their vote in, and then, so it's to elect someone. So in every church, it says that they appointed elders, all right? Elders is plural. You know, that's the other thing that you're going to see again and again. Whenever a church is addressed, the elders are addressed in plural. So Peter exhorts the elders, not one elder. If he's just writing to one church, he would be writing, he doesn't say, I exhort you as an elder. You know, it might be a bunch of churches. But as an elder, I would exhort you this. It's always plural. And so it says that we appointed or elected, we set up for elders, a plurality of them, in every church. And they did it with prayer, fasting, and we committed them, or we ordained them, set them apart for this job. Right? And that's the pattern in the New Testament. Just a quick one, Titus, same thing. Titus, this is why I left you in Crete, another place, um, another island where there are churches being planted. Titus, I left you in Crete that you might put in what remained in order. Presbyterians love everything done decently and in good order, right? And Paul's in this, we get this from Paul. Paul says that in worship, things need to be decent and in good order. And he says, Titus, I left you with the churches there. We planted these churches, but order needed to be established. And I left you there to put it in order. This is what you needed to do. To appoint, elect, elders, plural, in every town. Every town means just like the last verse, Acts 14, every church. Every town had one church. So in the one verse he says in every church, another one he says in every town, it's the same thing in the New Testament. You appoint plurality of elders, you elect them, a group of them in every church. And you'll see this, proper, this order being established throughout. We see a division between the elder and deacon, and let me do this quickly. Because you're going to see that in, in every letter it's, it's written to the elders and the deacons in plural in one church. But they're always separated. And it's two different groups. And it's something that we see um, being formed and separated out in Acts chapter 6. And I think in a couple of weeks when we actually have the election of new officers, elders and deacons, in uh, the first part of August, that Morgan is going to preach that day uh, and speak to the deacons. And speak to, to that role in the life of the church to balance out as we elect new officers but to balance this sermon out to say, who are they and what do they do? But in, in short, we see in Acts chapter 6 that the, the ministry as a church grew. And as the church got to be, it says, you know, the 2,000 came to Christ in, in one day on Pentecost and that, that whole thing. And the church got large and the needs of the church were many. And the elders were trying to meet those needs and it became too much. And in Acts 6, we see the elders and the apostles creating and appointing a group of men to serve the needs of the life of the church, a diaconate, uh, a group who will deacon. The word diakonos in the Greek simply means, it's translated, deacon. So when you have deacons, they literally are the servants of the church. That's what the word means, and that's where it comes from. And that's in Acts chapter 6, exactly what it happens, is that there is a need for 
things to happen, people who need to be fed, people whose needs need to be met. When buildings are built, building needs that need to be done. The elders can't do all the work, and so a separate group is created to do those things, to care for the practical needs of the church that free the elders up to do their job. And so in Acts 6.3, you see it there, men of good reputation, get these men full of the spirit of wisdom, whom we will put in charge of this task. What is this task? In the text, it's specifically the task diakonao, which is just taking the word for servant and putting it into the verb form, to serve. Um, so we, we need a group of men that we could put in charge of this service from this point on. And as Paul writes to every church in the New Testament, it's to the deacons and to the elders, to the servants and the elders, which have a historical ruling, governing, leading role in the church and the creation of this other group who are literally in the name servants. And so in Acts 6, 4, and this says, and then we can devote ourselves basically to our job, which is prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so that first glimpse into the role of an elder and into the ministry of the word into prayer. In Acts chapter 6, a couple of verses later, it says they set these men before the apostles. They prayed and they laid their hands on them. And that is what we understand as ordination. As we say, whether it's prayer and fasting, we set them apart. We bring them out in front of everybody else. We lay hands on them. We pray for them. And we set them apart to do a particular job. And the scripture does this and shows this pattern again and again and again. So that's why we have elders. For thousands of years before the New Testament, as we move into the New Testament, elders are a perpetual from even the organization of Israel as it comes out of uh, captivity. Elders have been the pattern of leadership in the church, in the, in the people of God, since time immemorial. And so the New Testament gives us this pattern of appointing them in every place. What do they do? Peter addresses this, as he says in verse 2, with a couple of different words, and we, want to, we need to unpack both of them. In verse 2, he says, as he writes to them, uh, shepherd the flock that is among you. So shepherd, number one, shepherd the flock, that's what they do. But number two, he says, comma, exercising oversight. And there are two ways to hear this. You can just say shepherding the flock, and what does that mean? It means to exercise oversight over a flock. That's what a shepherd does. He, he oversees a flock. He has a flock, and he oversees it, right, all of its needs and its cares. And so there's this exercising oversight. But I'm going to break it down into two because I think there are important things to be understood out of both of them. And first is a shepherd, God's flock. First thing you notice is that it's God's flock. Right? It's God's flock. It's his church. It's Christ's church. And so the role of an elder is an under-shepherd. It's a stewardship. You know, it's like all those parables of stewardship that Jesus tells. The owner goes away and he leaves somebody in charge. And it's a stewardship. He is accountable. When the, when the owner comes back, when the chief shepherd is revealed, verse 4, right? when the chief shepherd comes back, there's an accounting. And so they're under-shepherds. It's God's flock, and their, their job is to serve the flock and lead the flock until the chief shepherd returns. It's God's church, and he is the chief shepherd, and he is the good shepherd. Even in the Old Testament, the shepherd was used as a metaphor for the leadership of God's church, for the elders. And again and again, as God speaks to Israel, he speaks to about the shepherds. And when he comes and he indicts Israel, and he comes and brings judgment on Israel, it's often because the leaders, the elders, were not good shepherds. They were leading their people astray. Right? They were speaking words that were not God's word. 
They weren't concerned with justice and mercy and the things that should characterize God's people. And so you see in the Old Testament, the judgment as it falls on Israel, there's always an address to the leaders, to the false shepherds of Israel. And one of the promises, I just threw this one in there under your second point, what elders do. Jeremiah 3.15, he says this, the one part of the promises of the new covenant and of his grace that will unfold in the time of Messiah is this, I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. I will give you faithful shepherds. Of course, it's all under Yahweh. Psalm 23, the Lord, Yahweh, is my shepherd. And so in the Old Testament, the Lord is the shepherd and there are under shepherds. And the same in the New Testament, we have shepherds, under shepherds with the chief shepherd who will return someday. You know, in Peter's own experience, as he thinks about his role in the life of the church and as he speaks to these elders, you remember Peter's own experience when he, he denies Jesus three times, right? He did, and, and he enters into this time of brokenness and grieving. When Jesus comes to him and restores him, what does he tell him to do? If you love me, feed my sheep, tend my flock, right? Be a good shepherd to my people. Right, and so Peter, you can just see Peter writing here as a fellow elder, a fellow shepherd, writing to the elders of the church and telling them, feed his sheep, tend his flock. Right? These are, this is the command of Jesus uh, as it comes to us through Peter. And this is what a shepherd does. If you just think about the job of a shepherd, he leads the flock, right? Lead me into green pastures. Right, that's what the good shepherd does. So he, he leads the flock. He takes it where it's to go. He feeds the flock. Where is he to lead it? But into good pasture where it will find feeding, you know, in, in health. But also to protect the flock from predators, from wolves, but also from bad feeding, from bad. And so he has to protect them from scarcity and lead them into good pastures. So he cares for. They lead and they feed and they protect the flock. That's what a shepherd does. He oversees the flock in that way. And so this is what your, your elders do. We call what the group of elders that, that meet together, we call them the session. I'd have to do some research on why we call them the session. I know there's a good reason, because we do all things decently in good order. But I don't know what that reason is. And I, I, will, I will look it up for you, though. I'm realizing I should know that answer. But we call them the, 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 the session. When elders, part of their job is leadership. They help to set direction for the church and the vision. Where is God taking us? And, and so God leads through the session. We don't believe that God leads through any one man. Uh, in fact, the way we do church government, I love it because it's a little dangerous to give one man too much power. Um, and I don't want all the power. I'm one of 11 elders we have right now. One of 11. And I have the, when we vote on something, I get one vote. And everybody else gets one vote. And if I, am, if I stand up here today and say something that is contrary to the Scripture, you can know that there is a group of men who, are, who, are, who when I took vows to become your pastor, my vow was I will submit to my brothers. I don't know if you pay attention to those vows when they happen, but I vowed to submit to them. And part of their job is watching over my soul and my ministry. And if they come to me and, I, and, and they don't have an answer from me, they can go to the presbytery, which is the way we're organized. There's another level. I'm actually not a member of this church. Pastors are not a member of the church. I'm a member of the presbytery. My ordination lies with them. 
And so if I'm, if I'm, if I'm immor- acting out immorally or doctrinally, heretically, or in these ways, and you can't deal with me, you go to the presbytery, and there's a group of godly men who I am accountable to and who have the power to strip me of my ordination and take me from ministry. I think it is a beautiful thing. It is good to be accountable. It is good to be in submission to your brothers. It is good to not have to. Absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. So all this is to say, though, there is a leadership here, but it's a plurality. It is a group of men. It's why I think God does it that way, who are setting vision and direction and policy. They're the ones who exercise church discipline and make judgments, some of those hard judgments. They're the ones who feed and care for the church. You know, as we saw in Acts 6, so that we could do ministry of word and prayer. That's why in James chapter 5, he says, if you're sick, call the elders, that they may pray for you. So we're feeding and caring, protecting from wolves. We approve every teacher, all curriculum, all books, all the preaching. Anybody who stands here is approved through the session because they shepherd in terms of leading and protecting. But they also exercise oversight. Let me give some time here, and then we'll jump quickly ahead. When he says exercise oversight, this is important because I believe that this is one of the passages that we go to as Presbyterians. Presbyteros is the word for in Greek for elder. So why are we called Presbyterian? Because we're ruled by, led by elders. So we're presbyteros led. We're elder led. We're Presbyterian. We believe that there's no such thing as a bishop. So if you go to some other churches, the way their churches are organized in their leadership, they believe that there's such a thing as an elder or pastor and that there are bishops, and that's a separate office that's over your elders and pastors, and that gives them warrant to put people over them, like cardinals and popes or other. There are a variety of ways that you can step up the leadership. As soon as you have what we have is an equality of elders, but as soon as you step up and have a bishop, you now have a hierarchy. There's somebody over in that respect. We as Presbyterians don't believe the Scripture teaches that or shows that. This is one of the passages why we believe that. Because the word here that's used for exercise oversight is the Greek word episkopos. I think I put it in the bulletin for you so you could look at it. The the English transliteration, episkopos. And then the verb here to to do the leadership is episkopeo. If you take off the E and the N, and I've double underlined it in there, you see piskop, piskop. Right right in the middle of episkopos is piskop, which is bishop. That's where we get bishop. Right? It's an overseer. It, it, simply that word means to exercise oversight. And so he tells the shepherds to exercise oversight to episkopos, to episkopeo. Um, some people will take that as a separate job and say, well, bishop is over the elder. And we would say, no, it's passages like this that show us that these u- words are used interchangeably. He tells the elders to shepherd and exercise oversight. It's what an elder does. Right? It's not a separate job. It is the job. What are they? They're elders. What do they do? They sh- exercise oversight. That's what a shepherd does to a flock. It leads, protects, feeds, and oversees the flock. So it's not a separate office, and we see the words used interchangeably here. The elder is an overseer. It's not something separate. We see this again. I'm just two ver- verses quickly. Titus 1, it's there in your bulletin. In verse 5, it says, Appoint elders in every town. And then it talks about the qualifications, and it says four, connecting it to the elders, for an overseer must do this. Used interchangeably. Speak to the elders, an overseer does this. 
Same thing in Acts chapter 20. Paul calls the elders, and he tells the elders what? Pay attention to the flock over which God has made you a bishop, an episkopos, an overseer. So the words are interchangeable. Just to quickly to see or to hear that, that an elder is an overseer, that's what he does, and there's not a separate office. If you ever wondered why some people have bishops in their church, they take that word to be something separate and different. So where does a pastor come from? Now you've got, you've got elders and why we should have them. You've got some of what they do. They exercise oversight. They shepherd the people. You know why we have deacons, and then why do we have pastors? Where do I come in? How do I fit in this mix? Well, I'm simply one of the elders, one of 11. But look in your bulletin at 1 Timothy 5.17. It says this, let the elders who rule well. Let me just stop right there and say again, this is what an elder does. He rules. It's a different word here than oversee. It's a word to govern. But it's the same thing. It's the same idea. This is what an, an elder, that's what you are, rule well, govern, oversee. This is what you do. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of a double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And so what we see here is, you know, elders, there are some who preach and teach, but not all of them. It's a subset of the group, right? He says all the elders who rule well, and so in our church we have two kind of elders, ruling elder and teaching elder. All the pastors who have been to seminary and who's calling and gifting is to teach are called TEs or teaching elders. And all of the other men, the eight others that are elected by you from the, from the laity, from the church, are called ruling elders. Because why? Because, because they rule, that's their job. Let the elders who rule well be considered a double honor. But there are also those, a subset of that group, who labor in preaching and teaching. And so we recognize some men are gifted and called by God for that ministry. It's like some of you are gifted in various different ways. And so we have ruling elders and teaching elders. I'm simply one of them who believes that the gifting and calling is in preaching and teaching, and so that's what I do. And so you see the qualifications as he runs through. We're not to be under compulsion but willing. We're not to be out for shameful gain or for, uh, because of pride or personal glory or for power, uh, but eagerly, eagerly. Clowney says, readiness, it springs from his grace and runs for his glory. Not dominating over those, but being an example to the flock. Right? As he lays out, what kind of men should they be? There are qualifications listed in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1 for elders and for deacons. And Peter picks up 3 and says that you should not be compulsed or obligated or do it grudgingly. It shouldn't be for shameful gain or for your own pride or for your own power and you shouldn't be dominating over other people, but rather you should be willing, you should be eager, you should be an example to the flock. Like Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, set examples for the believer in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. Follow me as I follow Christ. So finally, let me just give you a couple words of application. How do we respond? Now we have, why do we have elders? What do our elders do? Who gets to be an elder? Men who fit the qualifications that the Bible lays out. And so, first two things that I would say in application to all of that is, number one, take the process seriously. We asked for nominations earlier in the year. We're about to do an election, and then we'll install our new officers. But when it comes back to nominations, it's to, to take seriously. Who among you fits the qualifications? And every time we give you a nomination form, the backside of it is the qualifications from 1 Timothy and Titus. To say, who, who are these men? 
nominate them so that we can move them. The second thing is if you're a man here this morning, strive to be such a man. Strive to be the man that is described as we grow in gray hairs to be an elder. You know, in some ways that's a literal word, in another way it's a figurative, but it, it does go to age. That as we grow in age, that we would grow in maturity, that we would be such men, elders, leaders among God's people. So two quick words, one to the elders is what Peter says in verse 4. If you're an elder here this morning, even if you're not serving, but particularly if you're serving right now, this is what God says as he has said all these things to you this morning about your job. He says this, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You know, there are times when I read a sentence like that and it makes me cry. I mean, it makes me tear. For myself as an elder, but for my brothers who I know, these men, and I can tell you, the men in your church, the elders in your church, sacrifice. They sacrifice their time, They give of their gifts. They pour themselves out. They pour themselves out emotionally. They deal with some of the most difficult, painful, um, unpleasant things that the church has to deal with. Rises to their responsibility. And they pay a high price. But brothers, he says when he comes back, that there is an unfading crown of glory. In other words, he says faithfulness is rewarded. Faithfulness is rewarded, and it's one of the things that keeps me doing what I do and going forward is to believe that that this is God's thing, that he he has made the church, he has ordered and structured it, he gifts and calls men, he brings them into leadership, he puts me in a place like this, by his grace, for his glory, and it's the knowledge that he rewards faithfulness, and that's true for all of us. If you're an elder, I would say again, do not become weary in doing good for at the right time you will reap a harvest. I don't know if the crown is literal or not. I I, I tend to think not. But on the other hand, it represents something supremely desirable. right? It represents something worth sacrificing for. So finally, let me say then a word to you who are the church. He says, likewise, you who are younger, Be subject to your elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. But likewise, submit to your elders. Submit to God-ordained leadership. This is the theme that Peter has been hitting throughout. You know, citizens, submit to your government. You know, uh, servants, submit to your masters. Wives, submit to your husbands. You know, young people or those who are under the elders in the church, submit to your leaders. Godliness includes humble which he hits on, and we'll hit humility next week, but humble submission. We should want to be under authority. As I said, I want to be accountable. I want someone to care about my soul that will come after me if I go off the rails. So Hebrews 13, 17 there in your bulletin, another place where he says the same thing, obey your leaders and submit to them. Because what? They're shepherding your souls. They're keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account, as those who will for their stewardship of their leadership of under shepherds to the great shepherd as, he, as we cared for the flock for whom he shed his blood. He says we are accountable. But he says let them do this 
with joy and not with groaning. You know when children at home rebel against authority, they go through their teen years, when they start saying no, when they start complaining, when they start doing it, it stops being a joy and it starts to be a little groaning. Right? And he says to, and he says, and that's the way it is when there is a proper authority structure where there should be submission and leadership and it's bucked, it stops being fun. <laughs> you know, it starts to be work. And he says, you know what, God has set something up here. And he says, obey your leaders and submit to them. They're keeping watch over your souls. They're accountable to God, but, but let it be a joy to them. Don't make it hard for them. He says, this will be no advantage to you. He says, it's good for you because this is how God works. So there's a couple more verses there. In respect, esteeming in high honor, be at peace. There is peace where there is all things are done decently and in good order. When there is structure. Paul, Peter has been writing throughout the entire letter calling the church to submit to authority. And he's expressing his concern now as he closes his letter for the order and the government of the church, for the peace of the church, for godly leadership and for godly submission. And we're told that Jesus is the sheep, chief shepherd and overseer of our souls. And he says, my sheep hear my voice. These are the words of Christ. These are the words of God. He says, my sheep hear my voice and know them, and they follow me, for they know my voice. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we come this morning seeking your wisdom to understand your church. Some of these things, they are a labor to understand and to get them into our heads. They're a little bit of work. They're not the most exciting things that your word has for us, but they are your word, they are your truth, they are your goal and purpose and structure for your church. So write it on our hearts. Help us to understand how it works so we could be godly in our leadership and godly in our submission, that we would love your church, that we would serve in it well, that we would not buck the system, but that we would serve the Lord Christ, who is the chief shepherd and overseer of our souls. Father, bless us as we seek to honor you in the way that we do church according to your word, and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, let's stand together, worship our good shepherd, the one who redeemed us, who rescued us from death. Let's praise him and worship him now as we close our time together. Oh, great God of highest heaven, Occupy my lowly
to remove some of the veil of mystery from uh, the leadership behind the scenes and, and to remind us too that you know authority doesn't mean much until it says something we don't like. 